0: On the Dallas Opera Network, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh,
1: let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however, you're listening, it's America's Talk Radio Show. About opera, it's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, this week, Chalk Talk. Still March. We're still mad like Lucia. So we're going to crown the OBS 2022 winningest composer of the last 300 years. And then from the listener mailbag, we get the skinny on Jakub Josef Orlinski. Was he nude in London's Theodora? Or was it false advertising? Plus (laughs) two-minute drill, the boycott of the boycotting of boycotted artists has begun. And that means you, Ildar, abdrazakov if you're watching on tdo you want to make sure you subscribe to the podcast get that full show stitcher spotify you click follow apple podcasts you just hit the plus sign send us a voice memo get your voice on air email us your hot takes opera gmail.com you're going to get an obs beer coaster and you're going to get an obs lapel pin just for sharing your hot take oliver camacho i see that lapel pin
2: Yes, you do. And I finally have something to talk about that's sports related and Oscars related. So it's like the perfect. <laughs> tie um, it all in. Tie it all yeah. in.
0: <laughs> it's good. It's good.
2: I'm like the Venn diagram of people who really enjoy it. You're the two in one shampoo conditioner
0: <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> Nicely so,
2: done. Uh, Venus and Serena Williams were the first two faces we saw uh, at on yesterday's Oscars broadcast. And then it went to. Uh, a live performance of Beyonce singing on the streets. It's kind of confusing. It was <laughs> on, a a amazing.
3: Court. It was ep- from their tennis court, like their home tennis court in Compton yeah. where they like yeah. were brought up. It was incredible.
2: So everybody by now has heard about the slap that was heard around the world. Um, <laughs> I but, haven't.
1: But no, that
0: was canceled so by NBC maybe 10 years ago. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I just want to know how Venus and Serena feel about it. Like That was ostensibly their movie, you know, and who is this guy getting up there and is, you know, is he doing what they would want him to do? (laughs) You know, like it's I mean, there's there's so many ways to approach this and think about this. And I've seen so many people getting up and defending his actions and people saying that never resort to violence and. Etc., etcetera. Et cetera. But I would just really like to hear what their opinion is. And I'm sure we're gonna get some statement at some point from them, but I'm not soon enough for me.
1: Did you watch the Oscars?
0: I did. Watching the end of that Oscar ceremony compared to a regular Oscar ceremony is like watching the Gilded Age compared to history. <laughs> and that you're watching it and you're just like, What is happening? <laughs> how 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 is this occurring?
1: Weston, you skipped the Oscars.
4: I did. All I know is that Hans Zimmer got uh, wore a bathrobe to uh, to get his Oscar, which is really, you know, just the vibe I want out of my award shows.
1: And, Ashley, you're drowning your sorrows.
3: I am. Uh, both in what was the Oscar telecast. Seriously, for a minute, I was like, did I take an edible and forget about it? What's happening? <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, by the time they got to the in-memoriam and then Liza in the wheelchair, I was face down on my couch. I was like, nothing is real. I can't take it anymore. (laughs) More importantly, though, the Razorback update that nobody asked for. R.I.P. Razorbacks. You made it to the Elite Eight. But then in the season where Coach K will not die, Duke has made it to the Final Four by defeating my Razorbacks. But it was still a very good season.
1: Lots more basketball coming up this week. And of course, the... OBS Opera Bracket, which is right now.
0: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score.
1: Chalk Talk this week, it's the third and final week of the annual OBS March Madness Ooh, of Opera Bracket. This time around, it's all composers. Oliver Camacho, let us work through these initial throwaway rounds and get to that final. <laughs> so we're
2: going to talk. First, about the first quarter, uh, which is the 17th century, I'm sorry, the uh, 18th century quarter, Uh, we had Handel versus Rameau and Agnesi versus Gluck. Mm. We don't need to go too far into this practice to realize who's the winner going to be. I mean, Rameau sort of had a chance there, uh, but in the end, uh, the composer that really, you know, carries the entire century uh, is going to be Handel. So, it's as can't,
1: much can't as we about to, yeah. uh, quantity as it is about quality, and Handel, which is my choice, is, <laughs> yeah. is cl- a clear winner.
0: Can't can't wait to read Handel's seminal treatise about harmony that was the foundation <laughs> for, of music theory for two hundred years. When's that gonna come out?
2: But how many people can uh, hum a remote tune? If you Me, don't know, then we go over to the twenty first century quarter. Uh, We had Terrence Blanchard versus Kaya Sarriaho. Mm. We had um, Missy Mazzoli versus Ian Bell. So two women and a black man show up in the 21st century, which is very exciting uh, for just opera in general. I felt like Sarriaho was probably going to come away with this quarter. But I just saw Fire Shut Up In My Bones. And while there maybe isn't so much new musically happening in that opera, the audience loved it and the audience was able to access the music. And I think that's maybe the point of 21st century opera is that we can tell new stories using tried and true musical devices because the people who are telling the stories are new in the opera community. So let's go ahead and, you know, employ jazz, employ tonality. Harmony doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, super academic use of counterpoint. But we have this feeling of jazz. We have this feeling of gospel. We have, you know, uh, somebody who's a skillful orchestrator from his years as a film score uh, composer. So I'm going to hand it over to Terrence Blanchard congratulations <laughs> Weston nice Fine. so moving over Fine. <laughs> <laughs> moving over to the 20th century quarter we had Benjamin Britten versus Richard Strauss and Thea Musgrave versus Dmitry Shostakovich now the first matchup really could have been the final um, and we're not even going to be able to hear how this match went down I had a hard time making a decision. They were really neck and neck. I mean,
1: Britain is, there is not a more sensitive interpreter of the human condition through music in the English language than Benjamin Britten.
2: Which is why he lost. Well, (laughs) we we don't know if he lost yet. But, um, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, I feel like Britain appeals to my queerness uh, and my feeling of an outsider but in the end, I don't want to go to the opera to feel like I'm a man who uh, is alone in this world. I want to celebrate love. <laughs> I want to be surrounded by rich, thick, you know, harmonies. I want to have doilies under every teacup. Uh, <laughs> and I want that pastry to be extra crispy and fluffy. And so um, Richard Strauss pulls away um very very close, but those, he those pull away famous that, that Electra Doilies really won the day. <laughs> I think. May, may I not let's, recommend let's Death in Venice? <laughs> you, <man>. I love <laughs> Death in Venice, actually. And then That's we great. have this oddball uh, matchup: um, Thea Musgrave and Dmitri Shostakovich. Um, I listened to a little bit of Musgrave. I was like, oh, you know, this is this is pleasant. Uh, Dmitri Shostakovich, however, uh, has just more work done and this maybe is where like my misogyny begins to creep in a little bit like we just <laughs> see more shostakovich operas and uh he has like this twisted surrealistic sense of humor uh that feels very of the time very anti-establishment and funny and i love moscow cherry Mushki. and i'm also a fan of the nose not a big fan of lady macbeth mm. uh but i remember really enjoying uh, the nose and Moscow Cherimushki. And so just for the sake of, you know, a white guy, we got to hand it to a white guy every
0: now and then. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Oliver. I appreciate that. Don't want to be accused of reverse racism.
1: <laughs> next, next time Ash is in the same room with you, she's going to hit you so hard. You go back to your home planet, dude.
3: <laughs> in the middle of women's history. Month, you knock out. Mary, Queen of Scots. <laughs> How very dare you, sir.
2: So we go to the the uh, most complicated quarter, which is the 19th century quarter. And we had the first matchup of Ricard Wagner versus Pauline Viardot. And the second matchup of Gaetano Donizetti versus Arthur Sullivan. Well, I am a singer and I love the voice and I love melody. Um, yes, Wagner has some fantastic... Melodies, but they take the place. They take place over many, many bars of music, and they're <laughs> melodies that only a few people can actually sing. Oliver doesn't uh, have any time for any, any yeah, of that. I don't. <laughs> and the and the funny thing is that, um, you know, Pauline Viardot is the one woman in this quarter. Uh, but I feel like Richard Wagner was going for this, um, feminine orgasm in some of his music. Like the slow. Ashley wants to know more. Keep digging.
1: Keep
3: digging, Oliver. I have so many follow-up questions for you, Oliver. I have so many.
2: You know, slow building, uh, gradually increasing, and then finally just living in this ecstatic moment um, for a long time. And then you miss it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and you give up and you go watch your stories because yeah. that's what you do.
2: And I've, you know, I'm not one who knows how to revel in that type of pleasure. Uh, I actually enjoy the sort of frothier. Uh, more uh, bonbon pleasures of the music oh, okay. of Beard. I,
4: I, 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 I'm so glad he went there. It, it, frothy could have gotten so many terrible. Where directions.
1: are we? Are we high? What is happening? <laughs> this is the Edibles from the Oscars yeah. again.
2: Uh, I mean, it's also no uh, no secret that Richard Wagner was a composer that was cherished by. Uh, the nazis and i can't have any of that in 2022 that is maybe crazy. if they asked me last year i might have felt differently but uh <laughs> in in 2022 that that's uh, your red line <laughs> i have to give it to pauline viardo and who knows you know what else she could have composed um yeah. you know she was fluent in like five languages and she had her own Gesamtkunstwerk she did two of her own librettos and she had uh that russian novelist turgenev as one of his as one of her librettists so if she had focused more on composing rather than having an amazing singing career we might have had more operas from her but yeah. what what evidence there is of her work i think is delightful uh which brings us to Arthur Sullivan and Gaetano Donizetti,
4: real nail biter.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, Matt, this is, made... this is
1: why it's a nail biter. It's because yeah. <laughs> whether you like it or not, Gilbert and Sullivan are the gateway. Okay, we're talking about for composers Americans today, so. into us. Okay, if you're American and you're trying to get into this art form, you are going to start with. Gilbert and Sullivan. George, That's that harder. might have been true in
0: like 1915, but I really don't think it's true anymore. We have this thing called musical theater now, that, that <laughs> I would say is a much more common gateway for the youths of today.
1: So you're and calling I'll, Donizetti musical theater, is what you're saying? I'll
2: make I'll make a correction. Uh, it's a gateway for white Americans into opera, uh, and I am not a white American, unfortunately, and I I think. Arthur Sullivan's music is really delightful and I do enjoy some patter and some witty uh, lyrics but ultimately I am a melody guy and uh, Donizetti has some of the most beautiful melodies in all of opera and as Matt said um, last week or two weeks ago how there's something for everybody and how you have like this sort of one hand it's very bel canto one hand it's it's portending Verdi. Uh, You have operas in Italian and in French, you have comedies like Elixir of Love, which actually have moments of like pure heartbreaking beauty. And then you have like these over the top dramas like uh, Anna Bolena and Lucida Lammermoor. So Gilbert and Sullivan, I think does well what it does in its own lane, but nowhere near the variety uh, of work that we have from Donizetti. So we have Donizetti coming out of that matchup. So our final eight our um our, our final four are Handel versus Terrence Blanchard, and Ricard Strauss versus uh. Well, I didn't uh, we I we have to do. I think the, you
4: skipped you skipped skip okay. to half of yeah. the uh the eighteenth okay. and half of the nineteenth, I believe.
2: Okay, so we have the matchup of Handel versus uh. No, the we, winner I said, of- Hand, Handel, I said, said handle. No, I said handle coming through. I was like, I'm not you gonna said, waste time. You said handle. Yeah, yeah, you
4: uh you did not yeah. t- specify the other half of the of of that, which I believe was um uh Gluck. Agnes. Glucon Agnesia. No,
2: yeah. I said it was a no-brainer. Handle just like sailed through. Like there is like no no there was no even reason to discuss it, unfortunately. Just sailed through. Handle beats everybody.
4: Okay, yes. that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Okay, I got you.
2: So we have handle um versus Terence Blanchard. And we have the matchup of Ricard Strauss versus Shostakovich. For me, it's a no-brainer. Ricard Strauss is going to take the win there. So we have Strauss in that corner. And then we have this final quarter of uh, Donizetti versus Pauline Vierdo. Mm. Very complicated. Um,
0: a true Belcanto showdown. If it is honest. a true Belcanto
2: showdown. And I'm going to say that you know in 2022... You know, we still remember Pauline Viardot's victory from last year. And she is just one of those people that just repeats. It's like you don't even it she just she just did it, you know. It's like how, you know, but she just did it, you know, like uh Serena Williams winning her first slam. She just, you know, once she got on when she got going, she was hot, you know?
1: Yeah. Just so um, I'm clear, so Missy Mazzoli and Ian Bell, both of them were stomped by Terrence Blanchard.
2: Yeah, well, Mazzoli won the matchup, but uh, Terence Blanchard ultimately uh, made it to the final four.
1: Fair. Totally. Yeah. Again, we uh, want frame, to hear. We want it, We got a. We got a final four here. Um, okay. On so opera final four. We have, Again, we have. We have let Handle. Me just say, We want to get your hot takes as well. You can write to us, opera score, Let us know who your final four of the winningest opera composer of the last three hundred years would be. Back to so you. So
2: on, on the left, on the left half. We have 17th oh 18th century versus 21st century. We have George Friedrich Handel versus Terence Blanchard. And on the right half, we have Richard Strauss from the 19th century versus of, of the 20th century versus Pauline Viardo of the 19th century. So what we'll a matchup. We'll begin with you, George. You are backing Handel. Um, and you're going up against Terence Blanchard.
1: I, I am backing Handel. Look, I've said it before. Handel is not only about quality, it's about quantity. Over 40 operas, countless oratorios, hymns, religious music, a lifestyle that truly defined, you know, in the post-Monteverdi world, truly defined, like, the Baroque. And that, I think, the impact of that we are still feeling today, 300 years later. That is how important Handel is.
2: Oh, uh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oliver is not yeah. pleased. Yeah,
2: I mean, I don't you know have—I
1: don't know why he's not pleased.
2: You like, have like one—you have so so many things you could say about Handel. Um, so many things you could say about you know his progress as a composer, and you're bringing up like his sacred music. You're bringing up his hymns. What hymns? What are you talking about? It show, Who it is shows this coach? The,
1: it shows the breadth of of, of the work. It's can like, you name what, do, what doesn't can, he can do? you can
2: you name five handle operas?
1: Can I name five handle operas?
2: Yeah.
1: Um Faramondo, Alcina, Giulio Cesare, okay. um okay, okay, Ario yeah. Dante.
2: Okay.
4: Okay.
1: And uh, oh man, I'm gonna trip right at the finish line. <laughs> That's quantity over quality. That's I mean, can I help him? The, the no,
0: you cannot help him. Um, you have to let him suffer. Come back, I was come wondering back to which me. one of come you was going to end me. up with egg on your face, but oh, shoot. <laughs> not the one I expected to be honest.
2: <laughs> okay, that's fine. You, 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 which of those of the ones you did name, which do you think is his strongest, and why?
1: Alcina was the first Handel opera that I ever worked on, so it will always okay, have so a special like a place in my heart. And the clip that I have <laughs> um, is uh, a. It's Verdi Prati, which Ruggiero sings in that opera. Everyone, you all were teasing me in the pre-show meeting, like, why'd you pick Why'd you pick Alcina? Why'd you pick that aria? Because it's personal, baby, because I love it, and it brings back memories for me. <laughs> and if that's not the point of music, I don't know what is.
0: Ooh, so, going with the emotional response. Okay, yeah, so we're going to hear a little... Try that three.
2: We're going to hear a little bit of Verdi Prati, sung by Mete Beaumont. I assume this is from the uh alan Curtis in Coplaso Barocco recording? Uh,
4: I believe so. Yeah, that's the studio okay. studio recording.
2: Okay. Here we go. Some Verdi Prati. Some green uh Pratis? Prati. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Love that, Arya. By the way, Theodora, that's handled. That's my fifth.
2: That's an oratorio, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Okay. Almost stuck the landing. That's so, okay. Mo- moving down to uh, the bottom half of this, uh, Terrence Blanchard. Wesson, what can you say? Uh, at how, how can Terrence Blanchard even... Dare compete with George? Would I have an idea, actually. But...
4: Well, I mean, I have a, I have a couple ideas as well. Um, I will also brag and say that I I can name all two of his operas, so I'm going to. <laughs> it's Champion and Fire Shut Up in My My Something or Other. Uh, no, I, I hundred uh... percent conversion rate, very impressive, <laughs> crushing
3: it, no turnovers uh, at all.
4: Uh, I will say yes, he is. He, uh, this is not the same quantity over quality argument that we're getting from uh, George over there. Uh, because, you know, he's new to the field, He's new to opera. Um, he actually was uh, I believe he was commissioned to write his first opera champion um, before he'd actually seen one, um, which, you know, in some ways is kind of like shocking and like, oh, my God, how could you, you know, step into this completely new art form? But in some ways that for, for me is what Terence Blanchard as a composer is all about. He's all about, you know, bringing in the outside perspective, the uh, non white, non male, non British perspective, you know, um, as much as I love Handel's music, we have to really acknowledge like his very, very strong ties to colonialism. I think I want to say he was involved in the slave trade. I can't quite remember. Um, but uh, uh, certainly there's a lot uh, a lot of baggage that comes with a lot of these older composers. And while I don't think that's necessarily any reason to like you know, stop listening to their music, especially when Handel cannot benefit from li- us listening to his music, he's been dead for a very long time. I do think that when we're talking about uh, living composers, what the future of the art form is about, we need to be finding people like Terence Blanchard. And like Oliver, I went to uh, a performance uh of the, just this past week and uh he's absolutely right the audience there was was in it every moment the story was relevant i took my fiance who is an op- complete opera neophyte she's been to one opera prior to this um and uh and this one was the first one that really spoke to her in a way that she had never encountered before on the operatic stage and that's because it's a modern story it's a contemporary story there's something that it, it, it could only have been told by the group of people who put it together by, by Terrence Blanchard and the, uh, the librettist, uh, Casey, I think her name is Casey. Something. Casey, Lemons. Oh, Casey yeah. Lemons. Thank you. She was she, fantastic libretto. Um, and then of course, based on the true life of Charles Blow, who I believe was at the, uh, the premiere, although I missed the premiere. So, uh, and, and this is something that's just so real and so powerful and like really reflects like. What opera can do in telling these really relevant, really current stories, incorporating these other sound worlds from stuff we would usually consider to be outside of the classical canon, the jazz, the uh, the the gospel moments in the opera. And it just was such a moving experience. And and like I, I love Handel. I've been to operas by Handel and the energy in the room and the type of people watching it it is just very different, you know. Uh, and I think that 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 alone is enough to put people like T- Terrence Blanchard forward as much as possible because they are the future of this art
2: form. Well, shall we hear something?
4: Yeah, absolutely. This is just a little clip. Um, I, I pulled it literally because uh, there's no real real full recording of this yet. <laughs> uh, I just pulled it off of the Lyric Opera of Chicago's Facebook page. I, it might be their, their audio uh, or it might be uh, the, from the Met production. Uh, he, this is when he's singing about how he uh, bends, he doesn't break uh, under the stress. And, it, um, and it's uh, uh, Will Liverman singing the title role of Charles Blow not the title role of Charles
2: Blow, Charles, Charles Blow. Yeah.
4: And, uh... <laughs> and, and The titular bones. Just Charles. Yeah. Just Charles.
2: <laughs> I don't know what you call this in sports when there is just like a team or even an athlete that just does so well, no matter what, no matter what type of day they're having. They just succeed and maybe lazily they are able to succeed. Is there a phenomenon like that you can think of in sports? Is there an athlete or a team? that's like, you're not even trying, but you're winning.
3: Oh, yeah. There's the Phelpses, the Usain Bolt's, the ones that (laughs) are just once they get to the top of their game in like a freakishly fast format, they're just like the Simone Biles. Like, yes, she's worked her 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 tush off, but she's also just so much better than everybody else.
2: Hmm. No, but I'm saying is that like when you're in the audience and you see like your favorite team or your favorite athlete and they still win, but they they win ugly, you know, oh
3: yeah (laughs) those are my hogs my hogs won pretty they took out the number one seed it was man the thrill of victory the agony of defeat they took out the number one seed and then they lost to Duke the next day it was exhausting
2: well in this matchup uh, I'm going to say it wasn't really a fair matchup but Handel was having a really bad day today and Terrence Blanchard (laughs) comes away with it I'm like I never thought I would say this because I I, (gasps) I stan Handel a uh, card but, carrying standal yeah, is yeah. who we're talking to right 2022 now. Twenty twenty two was not Handel's year. Better the luck next of, year. Yeah.
0: The
4: feeling of victory washing through my body to hear Oliver Camacho saying that is indescribable.
3: I am floating. It's, I now.
2: don't even know who I am right now. But we have to finish this <laughs> up. So the we early have
3: music man himself.
2: We have Ricard Strauss versus Pauline Viardot. Uh, Ashley, can you kick us off with why Viardot should take this title?
3: Well, first of all, I just r- want to remind you all that it is, in fact, women's history month, the <laughs> This is the one woman that is left in play. Listen, Viardo, here's what's magical about Viardo, is that she's somehow someone that's been gone for 150-ish years, but we're just now sort of uncovering and discovering things about her she was celebrated in her time but she's making a comeback she's actually hot right now a dead lady is super freaking hot right now in terms of productions (laughs) in terms of people learning about her she's the topic of dissertations she's the topic of shop talks people are finding these operas the recording that I'm sharing with you today the world premiere recording was 150 years in the making and it came out in 2018 this was an opera this was a piece that was in some private collection, hiding for years and years and years until Harvard finally got it donated to them. And now it's coming out. So she's somebody that's got that combination of polish and potential because we don't know what else is still out there. Do I need to remind you one more time that it's Women's History Month? Also, she is a returning (laughs) champion, which means she's riding away from 2021. She's somebody who... In the small amount of work that we have from her, we do have five operas from her, which is not as much as some of other people in this bracket. But each one of them is, if you look at the melody, if you look at the orchestral structure, they are quintessential 19th century opera. They can go toe to toe with any male output that's out there. One more time, it's one History
0: Month. <laughs> You know what? It, it That's a good point. It is Women's History Month. And when you think of composers who have mastered the art of writing for the female voice... Come I dare on. you to think of many who would rank <laughs> higher than Richard Strauss, especially when you compare the music he wrote for, let's let's just pull one out of our pocket and say the tenor voice, which is, you know, borderline unsingable. Um, but <laughs> every single Strauss opera is packed to the gills with moments of soprano fierceness. He was married to a soprano. The man knew a soprano voice. We talk about range. Richard Strauss has the range. You've got everything from really intimate moments like the Sisters' Duet in Arabella to the most bombastic thing you can ever imagine, the entirety of Die Frau ohne Schatten, which <laughs> somehow beats Rosenkavalier, Elektra and Zalame. and I stand by the fact that I also can't think of a, a composer who more encapsulates the state of opera in the 20th in the 20th century than Richard Strauss, that kind of push and pull of dynamism and boundary breaking and conservatism and sometimes being both of them at the same time, like very new, very avant-garde, but like dressed up in this neo-romanticism that hides all the difficult rhythms and harmonic languages that he was more or less inventing on the spot um the his partnership with the librettists like Hugo von Hofmannsthal are among the most successful combinations of music and text in the operatic canon take that gilbert uh, and sullivan and I think that some of the most thrilling moments in in all of opera, let alone just 20th century opera, come from Strauss operas. I mean, the trio for Rose and Cavalier stands on its own. The whole 100 minutes of both Salome and Elektra. Um, mm. The unheckleable brilliance of Zerbinetta's aria. Like, just come on. <laughs> Why are you trying to heckle Zerbinetta's Ashley? <laughs> It's I'm just saying Viardo put up a great fight, she's wonderful, we're lucky to have her, but like we're up against the goat sometimes and the goat's gonna win. <laughs>
2: So I think uh, Pauline Viardot, um, she really came through in her matchup uh, against um, Richard Wagner, but I think, you know, going up against two Germans in a row might be the end of such a great lady, a Spanish lady. When did Spain ever beat Germany?
1: Not in Maybe. the World Cup, <laughs> That's I can a good say question. that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in tennis, but...
2: So I'm sorry to say um, it is Women's History Month, but by the time you hear this episode, it might already be over. So, um, <laughs> so we regardless have the, of whether or not March is over, Oliver is ending it now. <laughs> we have the final matchup uh, of Ricard Strauss versus Terrence Blanchard, and it's going to come down <gasps> to uh, penalty kicks. Um, Weston. <laughs> Mixing U- your
1: sports, young man. but I get it.
2: <laughs> Free throws. Weston, you just saw Fire Shut Up in My Bones. I did. And you can imagine what Champion is like. Tell this referee three things about those two operas. You can they can be musical things, they could be stage moments, they could be about uh world premieres or casting uh that would impress this referee.
4: Uh well uh first of all there's uh there's the narrative efficiency of it uh both champion and uh fire Should up in my bones are very tightly written there's uh while Strauss did have like your Hoffmannsthal collaborations he also had other collaborations that were not as fruitful and they can <laughs> get a little bit plotting sometimes particularly in the in the sort of middle period where he kind of got a little bit um. He, he kind of got lost himself for I knew you were going to throw the
0: Egyptian Helen yeah. in my face. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I will and I am. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, maybe it's just the fact that uh, Terrence Blanchard has not had enough uh, experience yet to hit a rut like that. Uh, but at this moment, there is no sign of it. Uh, number two, the inclusion of more popular music styles. Strauss is great. I love the um, the way he writes uh, for, you know, really advanced harmonic language and boundary-pushing moments like that. But it, sometimes it can be hard to, like, take a breath and just, like, enjoy even, like, a, a light waltz. Even his waltzes are so... Uh, pushing the boundaries some people really get exhausted by that not me but some people do and I imagine Oliver might sometimes who knows Um, and whereas Terrence Blanchard you have uh, you have the use of jazz pop music motifs Uh, and, and things like that to keep the audience engaged and like, they never overstay their welcome either, at least not in fire, shut up in my bones. There's always like these little moments that really work and they never get, they don't get tired. They don't, uh, they, they feel very sincere and they stay, they stay their pace and then they leave. There's no, nothing else to worry about. Number three, and I'm going to say it again, this is what the future of opera is. And it's all about those perspectives, those new ideas that's th- those are my three things and I think those will hopefully be enough to beat my hero Richard Strauss.
2: <laughs> okay, Matt, different assignment for your team. Name three melodies that I I sing all the time that I every time I they they are even barely on the radio or like I'm, you know, looking at looking at my wall of CDs like, "Oh, I see that CD. I know exactly what melody happens at minute 17 of that
0: of that disk." There is no way that you can't sing the composer's aria from start to finish. There, is, I would mm-hmm. be shocked if you couldn't sing the opening lines to the Rosenkavalier trio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how your whistle tone is, Grossmächtige Prinzessin. I believe you've got it. <laughs> um, maybe you don't want to show it off for the public. That's fine. <laughs> uh, Zweite Brautnacht. I mean, I mean, we're. I I might have yes. taken a dig at the the Egyptian Helen, but it's she's got her <laughs> moments.
2: Okay, wow. Both of you sort of mm. biffed it. Um,
1: wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not what I expected. Um,
2: Grossmächtige Prinzessin was definitely on my list. Mm. Uh, you did not mention Mein Schöner Schatz the, from the first act of De Rosenkavalier, one of the most heartbreaking, beautiful utterances in all of opera. And the Rosenkavalier trio is, in fact, uh, another one. I literally but,
0: said two of those three. <laughs> yeah but, but I was waiting for you to to say Dein
2: Skip, as Skip the um oh uh, that the that's, the, that's the true there of, are so but you yeah. know
0: what that's because there are so many gems it was hard to pick just three mm. yes.
2: um and then we have Weston not even mentioning gay and how much oh damn male. it you're right and how <laughs> much, oh,
4: I'm a fool.
2: How much male nudity uh, seems to be in both of Terrence Blatcher's operas? Um, (laughs) That was, like, the no It's like, Oliver, you like to see, like, shoulders exposed, you know? So um, go come to these operas. Maybe a little flirtatious (laughs) ankle.
0: (laughs) A shady (laughs) calf, uh, even. uh,
2: But in the end, I have to go with the composer of the 20th century. (gasps) Yeah. It's Richard Strauss. Ah, yeah. oh, taking this year's 2022 OBS March Madness bracket this time around, the winningest composer of the last 300 years of opera. Congratulations, Richard Strauss. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, two thousand and twenty-two March Badges of Opera. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Spectacularly done, thanks again to the panel and of course Oliver Camacho for being our judge. Super quick hit, Ashley, on the sports before we get to the listener mailbag.
3: Uh, Yeah, announced right before we started recording uh, this evening, the NFL has made an announcement that they are requiring all of their teams in the league to hire either a minority or a female coach to their offensive staffs. Yeah. requiring that this new assistant work very closely with all of the team's current head coaches. The reason they're doing this is because the majority of head coaches come from offensive teams. So they're saying if we hire more women and minorities on offensive teams, maybe those people will eventually advance to being head coaches.
1: It's a fantastic pipeline i like the idea let's see how it plays out listener mailbag it's right now lots of letters coming in in the past couple weeks again if you write in super easy opera box score, gmail.com, you get that obs beer coaster and the obs lapel pen if you're watching on tdo you're going to see this amazing opera box score flag right behind me but you do not <laughs> get that that is mine
2: <laughs> Our first letter today comes uh, from a listener in London who is listening to the show very carefully because uh, her her name, his name, Morag, do we know? Uh, is it Morgan? I don't know. If, if, it is
1: It is Morag, but... Uh, Morag, it, okay. Gender wisdom. Um, um, Hi, Morag. Invitated.
2: Morag has listened to the show and knows exactly the question that needs to be answered. London-based listener here and first time writing in with some notes on the ROH Theodore, which I saw and loved. Given Oliver's concern in your latest episode at possible missed nudity opportunities, I thought he'd like to know that Katie Mitchell found narratively justified reasons for Orlinsky to remove his clothes in all three acts. Plus, act two ended with him pole dancing while the chorus sang He Saw the Lovely Youth, which you probably know since I think most reviews felt the need to mention that. My dancer friend who came along knowing little about opera was suitably impressed that J. J. O. on the pole in a glittery dress, wig, and heels... Uh, is a new bar for all feminist reinterpretations. Uh, also frustrated by the what was all the fuss about reactions, some of the reviews, though I agree the advice that it was inappropriate for under 16s was excessive, but this just feels overdue at Royal Opera House, given the bleak track record of a lot of opera houses when it comes to depicting sexual content, violence or otherwise in a way that doesn't feel gratuitous. Plus, as a female audience member, I usually can't there trust that what I'm seeing on stage has been released with the safety of the performer at heart, which among mm-hmm. other more serious problems tends to take take me out of the performance. So it's encouraging to see that Royal Opera House taking this is is taking this more seriously. Thanks for helping this non-musician go down the rabbit hole with this weird and wonderful art form signed Morag or Morag. Yep. Thank you. Now we know, man, we missed it. Maybe there's a movie out there.
3: Also, um <laughs> Also, I just want to do a sidebar and say that J.J.O. on the poll is going to be my new curse word for, like, any situation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
1: Did you, anybody what?
2: see the, the McSweeney's article about um, Timothy uh, about Chal- Chalamet? Chalamet. <laughs> all, I could,
0: all I could think of while I was watching that last night was the other two episode about when Carrie gets gay baited.
1: <laughs> yes. Weston, we had another listener mailbag right in this one on Philip glass
4: yes this is a, this is a, a note from Samuel who I believe is based Hi, in Samuel. Seattle hello Samuel uh, he uh, he's uh, they say I'm not entirely sure of the gender I really enjoyed your conversation about Philip glass he, he, uh, not long ago I used to be one of those people who didn't understand opera at all but I've always liked classical instrumental music especially the music of Philip Philip glass uh, and he eventually went and saw that amazing production of uh, Akhenaten featuring uh, uh, Friends of the Show, um, uh, Anthony, Anthony Rothenstanzo, and, uh, mm. and Zachary uh, James. Yeah. Uh, the and whole wrote yeah. yeah, everybody was in that one. <laughs> I, think,
2: I said Will Liverman uh, in that too? I forget. Uh,
4: <laughs> anyone is in there, if, if you believe hard enough. He should have uh, been, if he wasn't. They beca- quickly became obsessed and uh, they started uh, watching more. Uh, and, uh, once the, uh, pandemic hit, they were kind of sitting at home and started act- actually listening to our show. I just want to read a little bit of what, of what they said about us. Uh, uh, Samuel says, your show helped me to learn so much about opera and to make me feel like it wasn't something for stodgy conservatives. I especially value the social justice justice discussions, the interviews, and one team member's thirstiness. wonder who that could be. <laughs> yeah. uh, I ended up, <laughs> I've ended up learning more, not just about opera, but also about classical music in general and even jazz with some of the rabbit holes I've gone down. Uh, he says, I know a weekly program, you uh, must take an enormous amount of work and I wanted to finally thank all of you for the work you put mm, into it. And it uh, I just, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, Samuel, thank you so much. Yeah, this yeah, really warmed you. my heart and, uh, Thank you all for listening, and I hope uh, that more people write in so you can get those uh, free pins and coasters.
2: Yeah, and s- send us a pic, Samuel. We're curious. I,
1: I, I never <laughs> thought of our of our listeners going down rabbit holes. This is both of these uh, listener mailbags both went down a rabbit hole. Lewis Carroll must be so proud. <laughs> Two minute drill. Let's tee it up.
0: This just in. The two-minute drill. All
1: right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Alice in Wonderland this week.
2: More than 100 artists have signed a petition to end the Russian war on Ukraine and end the boycotting of Russian artists. The petition signed by such prominent artists as Antonio Papano, Mark Elder, Barry Kosky, and friend of the show Barbara Hannigan says, Not all Russians and Belarusians are certainly and certainly not all cultural figures of these two nations support this terrible invasion. Therefore we find it unjust to condemn Russians or Belarusians for the actions of the dictator and his supporters without any direct evidence of their collusion.
0: Meanwhile, the Lucerne Festival, Verbier Festival, together with the OSR Orchestra of Geneva, have stated, We confirm our continued support of Russian artists. Those who have not aligned themselves with the actions of the Russian government do not deserve to be excluded from international musical life simply because of their nationality. Furthermore, we refuse to turn our backs on the rich heritage of Russian culture, including the great works of Russian composers. Meanwhile, the French state has created a fund of 1 million euros to help Ukrainian artists who have been displaced and exiled as a result of the Russian invasion.
3: In other war news, ais provence Festival has decided to cut ties with the Novaya Opera, a Russian company, in cancelling the upcoming production of Zalome. Meanwhile, Romanian National Opera has announced the addition of Anna Borarenko, a Ukrainian refugee, to their cast of Eugenia Onegin. The Romanian company said that the soprano has been given, quote, essential assistance in terms of covering all basic needs for the last few weeks.
4: Russian state agency TASS reports that Vladimir Putin has told Valery Gergiev to merge the Marinsky Theater, where he is the chief conductor, with Moscow's Bolshoi, making Gergiev the director of both institutions. Putin remarked that the Directorate of Imperial Theaters was under single governments under the Russian Empire from 1786 to 1917, so (laughs) it must be a good idea.
3: Munich's Tatstheater am Gärtnerplatz is coming under fire for using, checking my notes, oh jeez, really, Uh, blackface in their production of Krennic's Johnny Spielt Auf. A 600 signature open letter was presented to the company protesting the darkening of performers' skin with black makeup, like actual black makeup. The company will refrain from using the technique in future performances, but defended their their decision. Quote, our portrayal of blackface, which was developed with people of color, obviously hurt people. We are sorry, and that was not our intention.
1: Bad news, New Zealand opera is being attacked venomously, including hate mail from longtime patrons for veering away from the standard rep. Good news, they're breaking box office records. Bad news, COVID has postponed all performances, and worse news, a third of the NZO board has resigned in protest of the organization's commitment to performing the new opera, The Unruly Tourists. Some critics argue that the piece is classist against the British travelers at the center of the true story that dominated New Zealand's headlines in 2019. That fight will have to wait, however, as the country's COVID numbers have forced the postponement of the Auckland Arts Festival and that opera's premiere.
2: The Metropolitan Opera will be making a substitution in their 2022 23 HD broadcast season, replacing Don Carlo in Italian with a different Verdi opera, Falstaff. Falstaff will be conducted by Daniele Rustoni and will star Hera Hissing Park, Eileen Perez, Marie Nicole Lemieux, Michael Vola, and Christopher Maltzman, none of whom are the recently estranged Anna Notrepko. Who was to have sung Elisabetta in Carlo? Staatsoper Stuttgart
4: continues its new production of Wagner's Ring Cycle with the premiere of Die Walkere. The new production aims to highlight the complexity of the Gesamtkunstwerk by emphasizing its individual acts. Three different directing teams will each bring one act in each to the stage. The Dutch theater collective Hotel Modern, lighting director Urs Schoenebaum, and visual artist Ulla von Brandenburg.
1: In trade news, Rebecca Rota will take over as intendant for Oprah Wuppertal beginning in 2023. The California native is currently the deputy director of opera at the Badisches Staatstheater Karlsruhe and has also worked as a singer and stage director.
3: On the disabled list, due to illness, Yannick Nuzay-Sagan had to bow out of the highly publicized Don Carlos at the Met Swiss conductor Patrick Furrer who made his company debut earlier in the season stepped in for the Alien music director for the final three performances including the HD broadcast on March 26th not to be confused with the other HD Dawn we just mentioned which is still (laughs) cancelled
0: Exit stage right, Russian conductor Mikhail Yurovsky has died at age 76. Born into a musical family, Yurovsky worked at many of the leading opera houses in Europe, including the Bolshoi Theater, Oper Dresden, and Leipzig Opera. He leaves behind a notable discography, including the premiere recording of Shostakovich's The Gamblers. He is survived by his two sons, Vladimir and Dmitri, both of whom are also conductors, and his daughter Maria, who is a music teacher.
2: And on this day, March 28th in 1842, it was the first official performance of the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra. In 1867, French tenor Edmond Clement was born. In 1896, Giordano's opera Andre Chenier premiered at La Scala. In 1916, it was the premiere of Erich von Korngold, Erich Wolfgang von Korngold's Der Ring des Polykratis that happened in Munich. In 1941, Italian tenor Nicola Martinucci was born. Happy birthday to American bass Samuel Ramey, born this day in Colby, Kansas. In 1951, Douglas Moore's opera Giants in the Earth was premiered and happy birthday to the English stage actress and soprano Rosemary Ash, born this day, March 28th in 1953.
1: And that is your Two Minute Drill. <laughs>
2: Samuel Ramey, sounding like a million bucks in 1975, singing Cibilar, uh from Rinaldo. That's a Handel opera uh, that <laughs> took place in Houston.
0: Sam Ramey, not to be confused with the director of the first three Spider-Man movies. I know you are all thinking it. We're all hearing it. I can never unhear it. And now neither can you. Matt, also,
1: <laughs> I, I, am just... I am confused. Uh, so, like, how many Don Carly are there?
0: There are... <laughs> I mean, literal dissertations have been written about that question, about yeah. how many versions of Don Carlo there are. This season, they are doing it in French, which is the original version, and it, but it's also like the less performed version because it became much more popular in Italian. So it was kind of a big deal that they're presenting it in French. That HD did happen. Next season, they are set to go back to the Italian version. That one is still being performed, but will not get an HD anymore.
2: It used to be that you could just say plus or minus Fontainebleau, French or Italian. And it usually was plus or minus Fontainebleau, Italian. So, but there are even more versions than that. There's the so. four
0: act Italian. There's the five act Italian. There's Jeez. the Modena version. It's it's a mess. It's it, the Wikipedia French article is like tight. seventeen pages we long. We
1: need a bracket <laughs> for all of the Don Carly. <laughs> Wait, that'll be our next year's March Madness. All <laughs> the, all the dark are... Don
0: Carly against <laughs> each other. Okay, we all know it's the
1: French version yeah. though. The, uh, this is so. Here, here we are in the yikes
3: block. Ashley, yeah, blackface. <laughs> ah, well, this well is uh, bad. among other. Uh, there's some, yeah, it's it's bad. Welcome to the yikes block, everybody. <laughs> Pull out those twenty twenty two bingo cards. All of them are bad blocks. Uh, oh so God. yeah, so we've got a, uh, we've got a uh, Johnny playing up and striking the band in this uh, in this German opera. And at first, I was like, huh. I wonder if this is. I mean, all blackface is bad. But there's, like, blackface, and then there's, oh, my God, and the production photos from this production are definitely in the, oh, my God, category. <laughs> they're like, it's, why
0: don't we pretend it's a minstrel show? Levels yeah, of blackface. It's, yeah.
3: Well, and the wild thing about this piece is, like, A, the fact that they were doing it at all, there was a period of time where this piece was banned exclusively for yeah. that. It was considered yeah. minstrel. It was considered inappropriate. So the fact that they're bringing it up at all and then had the full-throated what's the German word for audacity don't care uh, audacity to to, to do this (laughs) and it's not just the title character who's often the one that like we in in the premiere of this when it first came out that's the person that they Mm -hmm. darken the skin of in this one it seems like there's a lot of folks in the cast including some of the female characters and the costuming for this is like a, a heroin fever dream. Like, I don't know what movies they watched before they put these sketches together, but it was intense. Not to be outdone, however, we've got to talk about the other yikes block that is New Zealand opera and the arguments that are going on about this piece that they were going to produce, but now they can't because of COVID. And some people were saying, oh, make room for new opera. And then it's like, oh, but this opera is about a thing that's a little bit classist and terrible. So, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a doozy. Matt, uh, what, what excited you most about the, oh my God, Daily Mail article that we had to read
0: for this? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is that internet meme of like yeah. the worst person you know just made a great point personified <laughs> in that you you read the first write-up of this piece and you're like, oh man, why are these stodgy old board members standing in the way of a new piece? And then you find that it is like specifically targeting one Romani family who were tourists in New Zealand and like caused a media kerfuffle. Yeah. And that just feels really mean spirited and pretty racist.
1: Well, this yeah. hey, is red meat for the Daily Mail as well. I mean, if well, they were coming down on bit. the
0: side of yeah. saying no, we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, like, shockingly,
4: up, the Daily Mail was anti-racism. Up this time. is down.
0: Like, what is happening? <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, what is what is real? I mean, did I take is, an but... edible now? <laughs> Honey, we've all taken edibles. Listeners at home, you might as well take an edible. That's the only way all (laughs) this is going to make sense. No, the crazy thing about this is that, like, I remember when these headlines came out Mm -hmm. about this family in New Mm -hmm. Zealand. There's a lot of there's a lot of social stigma around the notion of travelers. Some people would use the G word. We will not. uh, But the notion of the traveler, they have so many negative stereotypes Mm -hmm. around them. And there is this like kerfuffle and this free for all. There are absolutely reports that this family did wreak a lot of havoc when they came to New Zealand on vacation. They left a hotel trash. They left excrement and trash and, and garbage and did not clean up after themselves. And I, do remember exactly what a kerfuffle this clause i i would be interested to see the music of the piece to see how they're going to put all of this together but it's just there's a reason it's in the yikes block this week yeah
1: yeah uh weston did vladimir putin also take an edible before trying to unify (laughs) the cultural organizations I thought Russia. you were going to
4: say before he started started the uh, the Ukrainian war. Uh, no, it. I mean uh, clearly he's he's doing something. Um, I, I will Partying say like that, it's
3: 1910. That's what he's doing.
4: Uh, well, there's a couple of things happening here with the Mariinsky and the uh, Bolshoi. These are two huge cult- cultural institutions in Russia. And keep in mind, um, Russia is a place that we we can often forget just how significant opera can be to the political structure here in the U S because here in the U S every single opera company and symphony is basically on their own, but it is so closely tied with power. The, these two institutions have been separate since 1917, since the revolution, this is not, this is not (laughs) even trying to like, reform like uh, the ussr this is
0: trying to reform the russian empire as an empire which and, like, like... is pretty fitting with a lot of his statements that he's made about every part of this war but you so you've got vladimir uh, vladimir Valery gergiev who has been in the artistic director of the mariinsky in st petersburg mm-hmm. for quite some time the artistic director of the bolshoi is having to step aside after making some anti-war comments so mm-hmm. one one which is part of it yes <laughs> how much that is playing into it and how much this is just damage control
4: but the the unification of these two things is such a huge symbolic thing in the Russian cultural cultural and power sphere and how those come together and if it actually happens if it actually ends up being unified it's it's not a good sign of where uh, Putin is taking this and he's already taking it to some bad bad places
1: the uh, last item on the drill is mine. It's my turn to take an edible about this production of um, <laughs> uh, which each of the three acts is directed by a different set of directors. Right, So the first one is directed by a, the Dutch theater collective called Hotel Modern. That's going to be a live animation film with little miniature figures. The second one is created by a lighting designer and the dialogue mm-hmm. quote between light and space and the third one is being staged as a tableau vivant as an interaction of colors shapes and changing axes like I love that I just feel like my head is going to explode <laughs> I can't I can't take this anymore please let us wrap the show up
4: <laughs> good call bad call on Opera
2: Box Score.
1: Oh my! Lord, this has been a trip. Well, um, Oliver Cabacho, <laughs> give us a good color back. I'll put me out of my misery.
2: Mine is both. Um, a certain British journalist who has a classical music blog called. Well, it's rhymes with flipped dick, um, but we won't say <laughs> the name enough. of that blog. Yeah, Um <laughs> kind of rhymes. It always is doing something that irritates me, but recently uh, posted something very transphobic about when will like the gender. Uh, when will the w- now opera has stepped into the gender wars, uh, talking about um, male sopranos and the recent signing by. Oh wait,
1: uh, now they've stepped into the gender
2: wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the recent signing, I think, by Decca of the Venezuelan soprano Samuel Marino, uh who is male. And so I think we should, uh, just to piss him off and to celebrate Samuel Mourinho, we should all go listen to that new album called mm. Sopranista uh, with the, I think, Venice Baroque Orchestra uh, once again. The name is Samuel Mourinho, male soprano. They exist. They're out there.
1: Matt Cummings.
0: I am really excited to see Fire Shut Up In My Bones at Lyric Opera this week. By the time you listen to this episode, I will have seen it.
1: Weston Williams.
0: By the
4: time we finish recording this episode, I already saw it on Friday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Ashley Hardgrave.
3: I will also be seeing fire tomorrow. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what I really have. What I have is a bad call. I don't know if you guys have seen this Infinity commercial that's been rolling around that's got... Uh, some people know it as also Sprock Zarathustra. Some people know it as the theme from 2001, The Space Odyssey. Ba, 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 um there's an infinity car commercial with what can best be described as a mildly talented middle school band playing this theme, and then the mother like closes the car door, and then it's silent inside. But it, it's that commercial is in constant rotation, and. If you've ever heard that theme poorly played by beginning level orchestral musicians, you know what fresh hell it is to hear it 14 (laughs) times a day if you're watching live television. So bad call to infinity. By the way, I'm not alone. There is a change.org petition with (laughs) thousands of signatures asking people to get that commercial off the air.
1: (laughs)
0: And I to do... do it to opera's winningest composer of the last 300 oh, years. It all ties I got him.
1: How I got him. dare they? Nice job. I do have a good call, but it's also about a commercial. This is a Buick commercial that I saw when I was watching sports. Uh, it talks about uh, basketball player Arike Ogumboale and says she hit one of the most clutch game-winning shots ever. You probably didn't see it. Why? Because 40% of of professional sports players or women. They get 10% of the coverage on national media. This is an ad that really makes you think. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk radio show about opera. I I still can't believe I couldn't name five handle operas. I just I feel so <laughs> ashamed right now. I bless you, Oliver. We have our differences, man. But that, that question, you, you're gonna make me do my homework and I'm grateful. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. He's at normwaddell.com. Again, you're watching on TDO. Make sure you subscribe to that podcast. Get the full show. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Send us the voice memo. Email us the Hot thehottake, gmail.com. You're going to get that beer coaster and that OBS lapel pin. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. Audio and video editor is Weston Williams, our co-hosts. Matt Cummings, Ashley Hardgrave. And I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you try to name more than five operas by handle. (laughs) We're back with an all-new show next week where we trawl through the slate of 2022-2023 season announcements. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, more that signature thirstiness. Join us.